Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. We saw chapters 1 through 8 of Proverbs. The father figure, the elder figure, writes to his son, the uh, not quite grown figure or the one to grow figure. So the elder, the father writing to the son for eight chapters, we saw lectures. The father telling him, pleading, imploring, stay on the way of wisdom. This is why, this is what it looks like. And every now and then, Lady Wisdom would show up uh, and, and as a tutor, as a mentor, and say, yes, what he's saying is true. Let me show you how this works. And so it's very didactic, very lecture-oriented, the first parts of Proverbs. Then chapter 9, all of that's been delivered. So Lady Wisdom in chapter 9 says, look, I have built my house. I have slaughtered the fattened calves. I've mixed the wine. I've sent out my messengers to invite all people to come and eat and dine with me. The house has been built by the lectures. Now it's time for us to come and dwell with wisdom and to eat her words and to taste her morsels. And so chapters 10 through 31 are the feast. And as we shared a couple weeks ago, the feast is finger food style. It isn't just a big hunk of lamb and you got to just work through that lamb and feel too stuffed all night. This is, <laughs> I made eye contact with a vegetarian at the wrong time. That was, uh, <laughs> the face was classic. Yes, it's not just a hunk of lamb. It's, um, there's a spread of all kinds of food. This is a well-balanced meal. And the way the Proverbs are outlined to us is that they're not systematic. It's not like here are five chapters on how to handle your finances. Because the Proverbs aren't oriented as a self-help book. And they aren't oriented in this way that you're just supposed to eat this, and then you eat all this, and then you eat all that. They're scattered and mixed around, sprinkled about, so you get a little morsel of relationships here, and a little tasting of finances there, and a snack a weird way to put this, a snack of sexual relations over there. And um, and the words, you get, you get a, a sampling of words here. And so all these subjects go back and forth. And it, it, it's so you're eating with Lady Wisdom and you're getting to mull over these morsels and discuss around the table what is being presented. This is the way she feeds us. We've had the lectures. Now it's time to dabble and taste. Because Lady Wisdom knows God knows that life doesn't come to us with a manual saying, I know that you are in a really anxious position. So open up to page 79, see paragraph three. If only life came to us like that, it'd be much easier to master and be wise. But instead, life comes to us with a problem here and a problem there, and sometimes back to back, and sometimes you're caught in between the two, and we have to learn on the fly how does the wise person respond to this and that, and then back to this, and then this thing over here at the same time? So Lady Wisdom brings her to us to our table and treats wisdom in such manner. Here's this, here's that, here's this, here's that. And we, as we go through it, the whole, the whole picture starts to come together. And so the Proverbs are meant to be worked through, not just... Um, not just systematized. So that was, oh, okay. So in chapter nine, she invites us to her feast and that's what we are in the midst of. Um, but there's this other, there's this other woman who invites us in chapter nine. Do you remember this? Mistress Folly invites us to her feast. And there we're told that the dead are there. But in between these two invitations was the mocker. And the mocker was the one who doesn't really jump in. The mocker is the one that likes to just make fun of things and is proud and arrogant. And here in chapter 20 now, this is where we are. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. We are now at the middle point of this feast. And it's as if Lady Wisdom is giving us the wisdom that we need at the middle point of any feast. Beware of overindulgence. Not that we can overindulge on wisdom. Not at all. Lady Wisdom would say, keep eating. You're, just, <laughs> you're not bulging yet. There's no inflammation with my food. You keep eating and keep eating. You can't overindulge on wisdom. 
But it's at this point that we need to check ourselves and say, am I self-indulgent? Because if I am, it means I, it's, it means I have not been eating only at Lady Wisdom's table. It means I have been dabbling also with Mistress Folly's food. And so the cautions in these chapters, well, here it kind of mixed around. I noticed a theme of restraint at times was coming up heavily. Restraint. Check yourself. You know that you're dabbling. You're eating at more than one table. If you are self-indulgent or overindulgent, you can't be that at Lady Wisdom's table. So if we're struggling with restraint, you know that you're eating at two tables. All right. So Proverbs 20, verse 2 now. The terror of a king is like the growling of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger forfeits his life. Good advice. It is honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. In other words, there's a time to work. If you want results, there's a time to get up and work. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And what a gift to be that man of understanding, because you, you know, you hear people talk about the desires or the problems or the things going on in their lives, and it's like deep water. Like, I'm not really sure where you're coming from. I'm not really sure how to make sense of this. They're not really sure what they're saying. There's like, I'm just trying to air this out and voice this out. But then there's that person who can ask the questions and who can listen and has this way of just drawing out understanding in the midst of what to the other person is. I'm drowning in this deep water. I don't get it. That's, that's a great person to be, a great um, prayer for us is to be that man of understanding that can draw out someone's uh, confusion and chaos. Verse 6, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. In other words, one who doesn't just say, I'm, I do all these things, but someone who actually does it, who you can count on. Verse 7, the righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. A king who sits on the throne of judgment winnows all evil with his eyes. Who can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. It's a rhetorical question. He doesn't answer it. Because on one hand, in the Old Testament, they're probably actually asking, who can say that? But in the New Testament, we know who can say that. 1 John 1 verse 9. For if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, brothers and sisters, who can say that? You. You can say that if you confess your sins because of, someone said Jesus, because of Jesus. There you go. Verse 10. Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Even a child, by the way, remember that we talked about that two weeks ago, that unjust weights and unequal measures is when you're cheating the system, making something look more valuable than it is, so getting more money for something that's cheap. 11, even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. So I write in my Bible, use them both. 13, love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. So 13 is a general warning against laziness. You just love sleep, love being lazy, you will come to poverty. However, we live in very different times where it actually is wisdom for us to tell the non-lazy person, get sleep. For God's sake, love sleep. You're killing yourself. The average American is way underslept. And we belittle sleep. We actually don't think of sleep as valuable as Americans because we see that sleep is weakness. And if only we were strong enough, really hardworking people don't sleep. So what they say is we need seven hours minimum sleep. Eight is um, much better. But even seven hours, who's getting seven hours of sleep? Maybe if you're retired, you have that benefit. But here, <laughs> but here's, here's the danger in our modern society. It's that we not only have a bad attitude towards sleep, but we deal with artificial light. So 
when the Proverbs are written, and all you have is candlelight to live by once the sun goes down, there's not a lot of options to tempt you to stay up late. You talk with someone, and then at some point, well, your circadian rhythm recognizes it's dark, and you're getting sleepy, and you go to sleep. But today, we have messed up our circadian rhythms with all this artificial lighting. We keep lights on late into the night, and we therefore go to bed later than we should. And now you can become lazy if you're sleeping in to make up for that. Um, But what our culture needs to hear is love sleep. Have a good relationship with sleep. It's not a bad thing. Now, yes, sleeping in until 10 or noon, like, yep, probably not a good option. I'm not telling you to love sleep like that because you're missing the productive day. But if we're missing sleep because we're staying up till midnight watching the same news stories you've already seen, or mindlessly watching a sitcom that you've, the reruns, and you know that I don't really need to be doing this right now. I just don't feel like getting up and getting ready for a bed. <laughs> um, there, there are ways that we are abusing wisdom here, and we need to tell ourselves sleep is good. Um, there you go. There's my little rant for you. One of the problems, too, though, is that our attitude towards sleep is actually, uh, it's, it's a proud attitude. God gave us sleep as a gift. The Psalms say that multiple times. If we think we don't need it, it's because we think we can do things in our strength. Or, maybe even worse, is that we think we have to keep working or keep doing something, because if we don't, it'll never get done. Sleep is the daily exercise of trusting God. It's the daily Sabbath, saying, He runs the world, He runs my life, I did my best, I'm getting my seven to eight hours now. Now, I do, that, I do that well at times, and at times I don't. Um, but we can all learn to take sleep with wisdom is the point. Verse 13, she reminds us, using sleep well is wisdom. And we use it poorly on the wrong end of what the Proverbs are warning here. Uh, verse 14, I like this one. Bad, bad, says the buyer. But when he goes away, then he boasts. The reason I love that one is because I wrote a note here back in 2013 that this one, that means in other words, I have a journal entry on it. I didn't read it, so I don't know what I put in there, but I remember what it was about. Um, I like that one because it reminded me of what social media is. It's basically people's ability to shape their social image. And we all go through life and moments where we say, bad, bad, this was horrible, this was terrible. But on, on the social platforms, we have this great temptation to reshape that story into a boasting opportunity. And we're not comfortable today in our culture with admitting, and I think even Christians particularly, are not comfortable with admitting that something in our life is bad. We feel like everything has to be somehow tweaked with rose-colored glasses. Or, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. It is okay to say that something's bad and then to go off and not boast and just say, help me. But here's the person who wants to be seen as better than he is or she is in everyone's eyes. This was a bad bargain, but then they go out and boast about it. Verse 15. There is gold and abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Take a man's garment when he has put up security for a stranger and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for foreigners. That's uh, really hard for us to understand, but um, when you take someone's garment, it's basically proof that if you're in court, nope, they promised me some money, uh, they gave me this cloak as evidence. Uh, He's just giving us some wisdom. In our day, basically, this would be be careful about co-signing loans and things like that. Because you could get caught in a lot of trouble. Don't let your financial future be tied into another person's decisions. That's, that's partly the warning here. Verse 17, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth will be full of gravel. Plans are established by counsel. By wise guidance, wage war. And so we should know that our plans should never be made emotionally or hastily. Do not ever feel pressure to make a decision on the spot. Americans love to make decisions on the spot. Everything's spontaneous and everything else happens quickly. But wisdom will pause and say, wait, I need to think about this. 
So don't be that person that feels like you have to say yes to every opportunity that comes your way because you don't know how to think in the moment. Just say, let me get back to you tomorrow. Don't make decisions emotionally or hastily. Have counsel, especially when you go to war. But of course, we don't lead armies, so that's... um, Verse 19. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler unless you want all your secrets shared with the world. Verse 20, if one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Hmm. Fools despise conforming themselves to another person's standards. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. So the idea here is I don't want to receive instruction. I want to create instruction. I want to create the right path. Well, cool, but you're going, there was a lighted path for you and you cursed it. And now you're going your way. It's going to be darkness because you are the light. You've got to figure it out now. Why reinvent the path when it's already been paved? The wise person will receive the instruction of their superiors, of their elders, of those wiser than them. The fool will say, don't tell me what to do, stupid old-fashioned traditionalists. I'm doing my way. Well, just know you're going without a lamp. There's 21. An inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. Because as Charles Spurgeon says, eternity will right the wrongs of time. I can only get it even. He will right it. I want Christ to be my judge. 23, unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord. False scales are not good. So we come back to the cheating idea. Verse 24, a man's steps are from the Lord. How then can a man understand his way? Why are you making me go through this, Lord? Why are we enduring this still? Why this again? Why must I put up with this person? Your steps come from the Lord. How can you understand? How can you understand everything? We don't. We don't know why he's doing everything in our lives. But we trust and we pray. Oh, there's this great prayer, actually. Um, This is the prayer of Metropolitan Philaret of Moscow. That's a big, fancy name for a guy in Moscow. Um, Obviously, that would be an Orthodox Christian. He has this beautiful prayer. He says this, O Lord, grant me to greet the coming day in peace. Help me in all things to rely on your holy will. In every hour of the day, reveal your will to me. Bless my dealings with all who surround me and teach me to treat all that comes to me throughout the day with peace of soul and with the firm conviction that your will governs all. In all my my deeds and words, guide my thoughts and feelings. In unforeseen events, let me not forget that all are sent by you. Teach me to act firmly and wisely without embittering and embarrassing others. Give me strength to bear the fatigue of this coming day with all that it shall bring. Direct my will. Teach me to pray. Pray you yourself in me. I just love those lines there, though, where he's praying, God, in what happens today, teach me to see it's coming from you. Because sometimes when we don't understand what's happening, we can react with anger or irritation and just, this is not my plan. Frustration. But if we learn that, look, our, pa- our steps are directed by the Lord, how can we simply say, it's not supposed to happen like this? Instead, to learn to humbly accept the day as God gives it to us. That is wisdom, and that is incredibly hard. That's why I taped that prayer in my Bibles, because I'm like, I need to start praying that one. It's hard for me. 25. It is a snare to say rashly, it is holy, and to reflect only after making vows. Yeah, not a good idea just to make vows to the Lord and then say, oh, I didn't mean it. Um, here's, here's an idea, too, though, is that we can often just throw the holy around. Like, this is what God is like. And wait, are you saying that ignorantly or do you really know? And are you the person that should be telling people about what God is like? Are you living that? And rather than throwing rashly around terminology for the holy and talking about God, maybe we should devote and concentrate more of our effort on becoming holy. Not, not saying this is holy and that's not holy, but working on in us what is holy and what's not holy. And getting our lives aligned with that. 
26, a wise king winnows the wicked and drives the wheel over them. The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all his innermost parts. Steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king, and by steadfast love his throne is upheld. The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Now, Geo kind of went quickly over the gray hair one last week. Are you in here, Geo? Oh, I can say all kinds of stuff? No, no, just kidding. Oh, there you are. No. Um, so I, um, this, is a, this is a tricky one because we don't really see this happening in our society. We do not, as Americans, val- let's say the world, actually, most cultures today, Western cultures, do not value the gray beard or the elderly. Partly because we prefer strength over wisdom. We like the people that get things done. But also, I would suggest, because we have, we have relocated communities from religions, and obviously Christianity is the, prefer, the preferable one, but all over the world, we, we've removed locate our, our communities from our religious centers to other things in the secular society. And when we no longer have God uniting us as the body of Christ— we no longer have place for certain people who don't fit our style. So what we do instead is now we gather people around age group or hobbies, and now the old are starting to not find a place to really fit in, and the way we treat them is, you guys belong over there. Now, you can think, oh, but I'm a Christian, I value all people. However, as a whole, Christianity is guilty of this. Too many church have, churches have drunk the Kool-Aid of the cool which means we've got a hip pastor with only 20 to 30-something-year-olds in the pews. No, not pews. That's way too old school. Um, and old people don't feel like they belong there, and that's partly by design. We want to be an attractive, appealing church. So what, are we, what is the body of Christ doing to the elderly? Well, now the elderly are at those shabby, broken-down churches that are kind of forgotten. This is, to me, this is a disturbing trend. And part of when Brittany and I were praying about where do we go with our family in this world, um, we had a lot of discussions about the fact that we don't necessarily like the idea of a church being full of one age group. Because I think Pastor Mike was nervous for a long time that I would leave and go to like a cool church. (laughs) I was nervous about that for a time. Um, But we believe We believe at Calvary Chapelton Peaks that all ages matter. The young matter because of their strength. And the elderly matter because of their wisdom. And I I believe the church needs to work together again in this way. Because what I see cool churches doing is not sustainable. And it's not going to produce a future generation of giants in Christianity. But what's happened? Well, we no longer have the wisdom and tradition of the elderly leading the young. We need both. And here, I know I've said this more than once to you, um, if you feel like you've been neglected by society, I don't think that this church sees you that way. I see a place for all ages, and I need counsel. And some of you are like, I know, you're the age of my grandson. (laughs) But hold on. Um, My beard is graying. Okay? I don't know if you noticed that. It's graying. Um, And I feel in this awkward place where I'm kind of between this verse. I'm like, my strength is depleting. I don't really have the glory of the young man anymore as much. I'm still strong, but (laughs) not as much. My body's breaking down. I feel it. I can't eat ice cream late at night anymore and things like that. Um, But you'll you'll teach me how. (laughs) Let's do another route. Um, And yet I'm not old enough to think that how dare I know more than someone else who has more wisdom and experience than me however going back to verse 20 if one curses his father or his mother his lamp will be put out in utter darkness I praise God that he gave me the wisdom as a young man not to curse my superiors and to to trust their advice and to walk in their mentorship so I believe that's why I'm getting gray um, in my 30s 
is because <laughs> I pray that God is granting some wisdom as my strength depletes. All that to say, though, um, part of this also just so you see my heart that I don't have an age bias. I believe that that is a grievous sin the church has fallen into today. So gray beards rise knighted in the kingdom. All right. Verse 30, blows that wound, cleanse away evil. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. Hmm. 21 verse 1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. That's a good one to remember when you pray for our nation. We don't have to pray anxious prayers. We don't have to pray prayers of doom. Yeah, it doesn't always look good, for sure. But we do know that the Lord holds the heart of the king in his hand. Things will go where they go. We just pray and we go trusting God. Verse 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Of course I'm right. But the Lord weighs the heart. To do righteous and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. In other words, your doing righteousness is better than your performing religion. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. The violence of the wicked will sweep them away because they refuse to do what is just. That one's interesting because it suggests that um, their sins are going to come back upon their own head. It's going to boomerang on them. Verse 8, the way of the guilty is crooked, but the conduct of the pure is upright. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife or husband. Man, we love that one in youth group. We cited that one all the time. When, so when, when one of our friends started to have a crush on another person, we would always bring out ones like this and just, just be careful. You don't want the quarrelsome wife. And man, my youth pastor loved to rub that one into us. Um, it's, it's a warning. Watch who you marry. The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. 11. When a scoffer is punished, the simple become wise. We'll come back to that one later. Uh, there'll be another one like it. And when a wise man is instructed, he gains knowledge. The righteous one observes the house of the wicked. He throws the wicked down to ruin. Now the ESV capitalizes righteous one, so it implies that that's God watching and throwing down. Verse 13, whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. A gift in secret averts anger. And a concealed bribe, strong wrath. When justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to evildoers. One who wanders from the way of good sense will rest in the assembly of the dead. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man, but he who loves wine and oil will not be rich. So, okay, there's our second caution for restraint. Verse, chapter 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. Whoever's led astray by it is not wise. And now 21, verse 17, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. So oil was a luxury. Um, wine was a necessity in the old days, but wine or oil was a luxury. And if you love these too much, well, wine obviously will mess with you, and oil, you will deplete your, your you will be pover- impoverished because you'll spend too much. Uh, 18, the wicked is a ransom for the righteous and the traitor for the upright. It is better, here you go again, see, you, you, these morsels, you kind of come, you, the, the conversation around Lady Wisdom's table meanders, so we come back to the quarrelsome wife. It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. We escalated from the corner of the housetop, a little shack on the roof, to now, you better, you better off in the wilderness. And not just a quarrelsome woman, but a fretful woman. Or husband. Remember, though, it was the man and the male family that chose the woman. So that's why there's the gender um, dominance on this. 20. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. There's restraint again. Verse 20 is about saving. 
Have some savings. Don't instantly gratify yourself with every dollar you get or every item you get. Have stuff prepared for a rainy day. 21. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. In other words, wisdom is very strong. 23. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Oh, we all know that one from doing it the wrong way, don't we? 24. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. 25. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? A false witness will perish, but the word of a man who hears will endure. A wicked man puts on a bold face, and the upright gives thought to his ways. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. Did you hear that, Christian? No wisdom, no counsel, no understanding can avail against the Lord. So can Congress avail against the Lord? No wisdom, no counsel, no understanding. Can China avail against the Lord? Can Russia? How about secularism? How about new atheism? Yeah, okay, good. Good students. 31. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. So yes, use your resources. Use the things he's given us, but trust in the Lord. So we do not trust in medicine and science to save us. We use it, but we trust in the Lord. You, 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 you put the saddle on the horse. You get on the horse, but the horse doesn't save you. Chapter 22. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. A reputation, friends. You need a reputation, a good reputation. It will save you from so much. I have stories that I could tell, but... The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. So what does this rich person, this poor person have in common? God made them equal. Three, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. So you know that something may not be a sin, but maybe could lead to something dangerous in your life. The fool says, eh, it's not hurting me yet. But the wise sees that and says, I I don't even need to really, I'm going to draw a line because I'm wise. I'm going to keep myself from being in the path of danger. Verse four, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. Train a child up in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now you must remember on that one, that the Proverbs are not promises, they're trends, right? A trend is a trajectory. It says, if you do this, more times than not, you will come out on the winning side. The Proverbs say, if you bring all of Lady Wisdom's instruction together and you walk in her ways, will bad things happen to you? Absolutely. But more often than not, you're going to have a prosperous life. That's the idea. So if we raise children up in the way we should go, in the, the way they should go, will that, does that mean every single time they will come out loving Jesus? Absolutely not. They're still creatures of free will. Therefore, we cannot blame ourselves, necessarily cannot blame ourselves, if our children turn out sour. It's not necessarily your fault. However, it could be, depending if you trained them up in the right way or not. But so this is telling us, look, if you want your child to grow up in the right way, You must train them, is the idea. That increases the odds. Verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Today's language says, if you use a credit card or have a loan, you are the slave to the one that gave it to you. That's common sense. Now, it's not wrong to get a loan or use a credit card. Um, The best way to use a credit card is to only use it if you have the money right now to pay it off. Never use it. If you don't have the money, because now you're a slave because you've given money on MasterCard's name or whatever, and now you you are theirs until you can pay it back. Verse 8, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. 
and the rod of his fury will fall. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. That is so true. One bad egg ruins the omelet, something like that, right? He who loves purity of heart and and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. The eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge, and over, but he overthrows the words of the traitor. The sluggard says, oh, I like this one. The sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Now, how often is there a lion outside? (laughs) The point of this proverb is the sluggard never finds the right time to do what he's supposed to do. There's always a reason he can't do it. Today, there's a lion outside. I'm going to stay inside. Tomorrow, I can't start the diet today because it's donut day at work. Uh, it's, it's always a reason is the point. That's the sluggard's mentality. Verse 14. The mouth of forbidden women is a deep pit. He with whom the Lord is angry will fall into it. That one's haunting. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. That does not say the harder you hit a child, the farther the folly will fly. That's terrible parenting strategy. We talked about this two weeks ago. And remember we said, because it mentioned um, using the rod before, punishing a child should never, ever, ever be done with emotion. It must always be sound and reasoned um, discipline. Like when a child does something and you're just upset, I cannot believe you did that, and that's a terrible time to punish. Whether it's spanking, because you're going to spank out of anger, or whether it's, it's giving them a punish, like a, you lose something, or a timeout, or grounding, or whatever, you're going to overdo it. And your children, or your grandchildren, will resent us because we were never fair with them. We retaliated against them. Which is, by the way, using a child's method against a child. We are not children. We are the wise supervisors that God has entrusted them to us. So whether we are teachers, grandparents, parents, um, or have any other say in young people's lives, that's a good one to keep in mind. Cool down. Don't defend yourself. A child's not threatening your ego, for goodness sake. And if they are, you have some serious soul work to do first. Never discipline out of emotion. 16. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Now, verse 17 on, we have a collection, it seems, um, the 30 sayings of the wise, and then there's another collection later. So it'll seem that Solomon not only wrote a lot of these, but he had people in his courts writing some, which he would collect and give his stamp of approval on. And so now we're moving into some of these, and some of these are really good. Verse 17, this is chapter 22, verse 17. Incline your ear. In fact, this is the introduction to them. He basically says, hey, listen up. You've heard this a lot from the father in the earlier chapters. Verse 20, he says, have I not written for you 30 sayings of counsel and knowledge? Some scholars have actually added some of these verses together, clumped them and told you what the 30 are. It's not really worth your time. It's just super technical. But just know, like, these are three, roughly 30 sayings of the wise. And so he gives us some of these sayings. Um, I want to skip forward to 28. This is chapter 22, verse 28. Do not move the ancient landmark that your fathers have set. I love this one. Because landmarks, like there'd be a stone, right? And that would mark my neighbor's property from my property. But back then, they didn't have these stone concrete walls. How dare you look into my yard? Like, I know we don't have that up here. Everything's like see-through up here. But um, they would just have a stone that represents, okay, this is where you're now on my land. So sometimes you could just want to take up the stone and just uh, move it a little bit. The next day, just a little bit more. You wouldn't do it a lot because that would be obvious, but you just do it a little bit. Well, here also, though, is a warning for us, too, with our... our um, our counselors, our mentors, the wise leaders, be careful of moving the landmark, even just a little bit. And one of the things that concerns me is when Christianity, some of the modern scholars who think they're really intelligent because they've sided with secularism, come up with these really creative ways of reinventing Christianity. What bothers me is they've moved the landmark of the church fathers. Right? They never reference the church fathers because they would condemn them. So 
beware of theologians, of teachers, of interpreters who never mention church history or the church fathers. Not that we're tied and stuck to our church history, but they are our guides. They are our landmarks. They show us the way. And if someone only quotes living people, they are not wise. They're living in the wisdom of their own age, and that's never wise. Verse 29, Lewis, I said this last time, I think, but Lewis said for every modern book you read, read a dead person. So you're reading from multiple generations. 29, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings, and he will not stand before obscure men. Chapter 23, restraint comes into the picture. 23, verse 1. When you sit down to eat with a ruler... Observe carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Now, I got the point of this. It's restraint. Don't overindulge yourself. But I couldn't quite make out a a lot of the little parts of this. Like, it's deceptive food. So this is where, thankfully, commentators are helpful. Um, What's going on here is that a ruler is inviting you to come eat with him because he's thinking of you as someone who could be part of his cabinet, his ruling authority. The meal is deceptive because it's a test. The meal is not for your enjoyment. The meal is for your employment. So the ruler is going to watch you carefully. Are you a man given over to your appetite? Are you a woman who drinks too much? Or are you self-controlled? Then, then the, the ruler will decide whether or not you are fit for his office. That's what's going on here, according to uh, the commentators. So a call to restraint, because, hey, as you eat and as you drink and as you indulge, is your self-control. Um, there's a couple more that kind of talk about that, talk about a stingy man. Um, verse 10, 2310, again, we come back to the ancient landmark. Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless, for their redeemer is strong, and he will plead their cause their cause against you. So don't cheat people. Apply your heart to wisdom. Oh, sorry. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from shul. My son, if you if your if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. So let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. Do not envy sinners. Because sometimes sinners seem like they're having fun and they get you're like, well, I thought that's, that sin like leads to death and they're, they're, have, they're thriving. It's like, don't worry, don't worry. Don't envy them. Because surely there is a future. You're looking at the present. Don't focus on the present. There is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. The tree of life, Revelation 22, the tree of life awaits all who are faithful. Uh, so 19, hear my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards, and among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with the rags. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise the mo- your mother when she is old. By truth and do not sell it. By wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit and adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. See chapters 5 and 7 for more on that. Verse 29, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes? It's a riddle. Do you guys like riddles? Here's the answer. Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine. Now there's a command. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, and it goes down smoothly. Now these are the consequences. In the end, it bites like a serpent, stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart utter perverse things. 
You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. And now the conclusion is the drunk's own words. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. The, uh, sorry, I'm looking for my place. <laughs> um, alcohol is not evil any more than fire is evil. Fire can destroy, it can devastate, it can burn. But fire can cook, it can give light, it can warm. So alcohol, like that, all things in creation are not evil or good, they're neutral. They're made holy or unholy by the way the person uses them. To have a desire, like say like this, say there's a person who desires wine. It's not a bad thing. That's nowhere condemned in the Bible. In fact, Psalm uh, 104 verse 15, yes, 104 verse 15 says that God gives wine to gladden the heart of mankind. Jesus, we don't know if he drank, we don't see him doing it, but he was associated with those who drink, and he turned water to wine at a wedding. He used a lot of wine metaphors, and it would be absurd to think he didn't because everybody drank in the Bible days. That was, You had water, you had wine. <laughs> what do you want to <laughs> make your pick? Um, now, of course, you can have stronger wines, and you can overindulge on it and become drunk, and that was obviously always condemned. But it was neutral. And so to have desires in our lives for anything, ice cream for crying out loud to have a desire is not wrong but to have a desire that has you is always wrong this person is warned because he has a desire for wine but he doesn't realize that wine has him he's owned by it when shall i awake that i may have another drink the proverbs again are warning us put a knife to your throat if you're given to gluttony it's warning us Know your limits. Know who you are. Do not overindulge in anything. You could apply this. We talked about lust back in chapter 7 in pornography. And, and a couple people came to me and said, what you taught tonight was exactly what, how alcoholism works. This is the way with so many things in life, is knowing that God created humanity to be the, um, the um, uh, oh my God. See, I'm getting older. My my strength of my youth is is waning. Uh, Genesis one twenty eight. He, he he blessed them and multiplied, and he told them, "Have dominion." That's what I was looking for. Have dominion over the earth, and multiply and subdue it. God created humanity to own the creation, to use the creation, but never to let the creation own them and use them. That's the difference between righteousness and sin: is who is living in the image of God and who's being. Um, abused by the creation of God. So there's a, there's a vast warning, and it kind of keeps going with this theme of restraint. Chapter 24 now, our final chapter, uh, talks about not envying evil people. Verse 3, let's do chapter 24, verse 3. By wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So, um, in other words, let's talk about it like this. By consumerism, a house is built, but by wisdom, a home is made. We can have mansions, we can have houses, but all you're doing is you're buying into the consumerism cycle of our nation. Wisdom alone will make a place a home. It will give people security. Let's go to verse six, 8. Whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. Verse 10, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Does a Christian faint in the day of trial? No. Because of the Spirit of God in us, because of the strength, we can keep going. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, Does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And he, and will he not repay man according to his works? What he's pleading here, the Proverbs are pleading here, is if you see one going on the way to death, stop them. 
And if you say whatever is their life, they do what they want. That's our cultural slogan. He's warning us, their blood is on your head. Now, you can't change a person, but you can warn a person. And Ezekiel chapter 3, Ezekiel's warned the same thing. He's warned that the people's blood will be on his head if he does not utter the prophecies he's given by God. That's Ezekiel chapter 3. You can look that up. Verse 13. My son, eat honey, for it is good. See, desires are not wrong. To want something is okay. Uh, The drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Um, But later the prophets will say, but if you eat too much honey, you'll get sick. So the balance, restraint. Know that wisdom is such, it's like honey, know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous and do no violence to his home. For the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Uh, we were Proverbs nerds in high school. Um, I, I would always lead groups. I always found myself in Bible groups for some reason. I would lead groups of people who would read the Proverbs and we'd discuss them. And then we would always throw this one out when we went wakeboarding and snowboarding. Just like, get up, come on, the righteous fall seven times and gets up again. I just remember all these things when I read the Proverbs because they're so tied in my teenage years. Um, Fret not, this is 19, fret not yourself because of evildoers and be not anxious of the wicked, envious of the wicked. For the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. My son, fear the Lord and the king, and do not join with those who do otherwise, for disaster will arise suddenly from them, and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. And then more sayings of the wise in verse 23, but let's just go on down to verse 30. Verse 30, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, Its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A warning against laziness. But I also love the warning in here for us too, is that the wise receive instruction from the foolish. I looked and I considered and I learned from his ways. That's what the wise do. The foolish Christian looks at another fool and says, ha, you do that and that and that, and they condemn them. Why? Well, because there's an insecurity in their own heart, and it's better to put the attention of sin upon someone else than upon ourselves. But the wise person sees someone else's folly and receives instruction. Oh, that we would learn instruction from the world around us, what not to do, that is, rather than to just simply point the fingers and condemn it. Okay, so we're halfway through the feast. Uh, Lady Wisdom has been warning us, have you jumped feasts? You know you've jumped feasts that you've gone to the bad table because you're getting, in, you're getting stuffed. You're feeling the weight of fullness because you have overindulged. Because Lady Wisdom does not tolerate indulgence at her table. It can't happen at her table. The minute you begin to overindulge or to self-indulge or to lose restraint or lose self-control, you have officially left her table. Now, the question for us is, are we dabbling in Madame Folly's table and Lady, Lady Wisdom's table? Are we jumping back and forth in our life? A little bit of my own life, a little bit of God's life? Because you know what Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? He warns us terribly against eating at two different tables. He's talking about the Lord's table, communion, eating at his table. And then he warns the Corinthians against eating at the other table. Here's what he says. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. For the Christian, there are not two menus. There are not two tables. There are not two restaurants. There is one And as we see in the Proverbs and as we go through the feast Lady Wisdom has prepared for us, we discover that it is rich and nourishing and that there is a full balanced meal here. You don't need something else. But the fool says, I'll dabble with that a little bit, but I'm still going to eat at this table. And Paul would warn the church severely and say, do you not know that the alternative of Christ's table is run by demons, the dark powers? 
So we must be aware that we don't become self-indulgent in our lives. There's nothing self-indulgent about wisdom and about Christ. But there's plenty self-indulgent about the table of demons. I think it's why the church fathers were so gun-ho about fasting and eating only as much as you needed for the day because I think they recognized that self-indulgence was the gateway into all the other vices and sins. And we must, I think, heed Lady Wisdom halfway through the feast that there is such a time as enough. And this is not just in getting drunk. That's not the only way to indulge yourself. This is not in eating too much. This is also in work. We can overindulge ourselves in work and find our identity in how hard we work or overwork and overwork. Knowledge. Here's my stumbling block. Too much knowledge. You can be overindulgent in the things you learn. Film, entertainment. You go down the list. Things that are not wrong, but become vices when we overindulge. And now they have power like demons. They have power. Lady Wisdom has warned us. You guys heard them. Chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Whoever's led astray is not wise. 21, 17. Whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. 23, 1 through 3. Do not desire the, de- the delicacies. Put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. 23, 20. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. Meat was a luxury back then, so it's not a, it's not a point for the vegetarians in here. Although, hey, I'm loud anyways. Um, 23, verse 20. No, I just read that one. Um, 23, 29, the, the long one about drunkenness. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? So Lady Wisdom's made very clear that there's no room for the self-indulgent at her table. Self, here's the reason. Self-indulgence leads us, or grows in us, a belly of ignorance and negligence. Self-indulgence grows a belly of ignorance and negligence. The more that we become full in our senses and full in our bellies and full in our minds of whatever we're overindulging, the less we are in tune with God. And you don't understand that until you've practiced restraint or fasted. You really don't. Um, I've learned because I have not been very good at fasting for a few weeks now. And I have overindulged in quite a few things. (laughs) And suddenly prayer is less attractive. It's the weirdest thing. But I noticed it. And I said, whoa, that's an interesting insight and that's dangerous. Overindulging in anything outside of God overindulging will numb you. It will make you ignorant and negligent of his mercies in your life. Take Isaac. Remember Isaac, the son of Abraham? In Genesis 27, there's a beautiful, tragic example of overindulgence leading to ignorance and negligence. You remember Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau? Jacob was the younger, Esau was the older. Esau was a fool. Jacob was not necessarily wise, but he was conniving. Um, Jacob steals the birthright from Esau. You remember the story. But then when Jacob has to actually go in and now deceive his father into getting the birthright from him, that passage in Genesis 27 is startling, if you read it carefully. 21 times food is mentioned in that chapter. The episode of him going into his father while he's laying on his bed. Who is it? I'm Esau. Let me fill your hands. Just the short story. 21 references to food. Seven references to the senses. Isaac trusting on his scent or his feel or his lack of sight. And three times it says food that Isaac loves. That phrase Isaac loves always associated with food. It is very clear 31 times that Isaac had an overindulgence problem in his old age. And he was duped. He was deceived. He was ignorant to what was happening right under his nose. And brothers and sisters, if we overindulge at the tables of demons, you too will be duped because you're eating from their hands. So here's your choice. We either resist our wants or we resist God. We either feed our senses or we feed the spirit. 
again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with enjoying the pleasures and desires of the world, of the creation, I should clarify, of the creation that God has given us. But we must know the limit. Where is restraint? Where is self-control? And where is overindulgence? That's where it becomes a problem. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit is all nine. No self-control, no fruit of the Spirit. This is why it's important to Lady Wisdom and the Proverbs that we know how to walk with just enough content in Christ. Let us pray.